Welcome to the Off the Beaten Career Path podcast. I'm your host, Katie Myers. Here you will find the inspiration, strategies, and tactics needed to reach the next level and beyond in your small business and career. Thanks for joining us and get ready to put these ideas to work for you. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today I am joined by Diana Pastrana. She is the visionary and founder of Define LLC. She is dedicated to helping organizations grow through conflict. With an impressive track record spanning over a decade, she has worked across diverse industries, honing her skills and cultivating more resilient and inclusive teams. Diana is a group facilitator, public speaker, and a conflict specialist. Within the realm of conflict management, Diana offers a comprehensive suite of services encompassing mediation, interventions, and ombud services. Diana is a D on the DISC scale, an 8 on the Enneagram, and ENTP on the Myers-Briggs scale. She is a social connector, passionate Broadway fan, and my favorite, a very mediocre volleyball player. Yes, I am. Well, well welcome, Diana. I'm so happy that you could be on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is great. Yes. So I want to hear first how you, what you do is super unique. I have never heard of somebody specializing in this. So tell me a little bit more about what your business is and what you do. Yeah. So I am, as as you just said, a conflict specialist. So I go in and I work specifically in corporate environments. I always tell people, I don't want to help you with your marriage. And I help companies organize around having a proactive approach to conflict management. A lot of people think about conflict as something they want to avoid or completely get rid of. In my work, I believe that there is definitely a place for conflict in the workplace and that it can help with innovation. It can help with a lot of things, right, that companies need. However, it has to be healthy. So trying to shift those behaviors in the workplace to embrace healthy conflict and get rid of the toxic workplace environment that is, you know, personal conflict and things like that, that do not aid in the mission of the organization. Absolutely. And I think we've, if anybody's worked for like a little while, we've all experienced conflict in the workplace. What led you to start this kind of business? Yeah. So I have worked in a bunch of different industries in a fair amount of different positions. And I nobody would say that I had a straight career path, right? Like everyone would say that I've bounced all over the map. I'm a job hopper. And I found that I was very easily affected by conflict. And starting off early in my career, I was really bold and high conflict myself in, in unhealthy environments. And then as I grew, I learned how to change my actions to get better results. And I started kind of studying the behavioral impacts of my actions and what I could get done if I could manage the conflict within myself and within my relationships. And then I went to an organization, my last job, so probably about five years ago, I think I started in 2019, and I saw this great, super healthy conflict modeled. I saw a lot of discord and like a lot of a lot of people speaking up and speaking their minds and very passionate about the mission of the company and offering different solutions to solve the same problems. But it was never negative. I worked at a biotech company, so scientists oftentimes believe that you challenge someone's hypothesis to help improve it. And that was something that really compelled me to dive deeper into this thought process on conflict management, conflict resolution. 
So about two years ago, I wrote an article for the Center for Global Inclusion, and the topic was how conflict and inclusion work together to create healthy conflict. So a lot of my background is in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so putting these two things together that seem opposite, but inclusive conflict and how it changes and creates that innovation that so many companies are looking for and gets rid of that unhealthy harassment type conflict. And so I wrote this article and a woman from Switzerland reached out to me and said, I've been working in conflict for 30 years and I've never thought about how inclusion impacts it or I've never studied it at least, can we talk? So we did. And after a very engaging two-hour conversation, she said to me, I think you would make a great ombuds. And I said, I don't know what that is. And so she explained it to me a little bit. She said it's you know very common in Europe, but very underutilized in the United States. It's mostly in colleges and you know maybe a healthcare company or uh, government. I have heard that word before, and I'm familiar with it from being, I was part of the Teamsters Union when I worked at a factory years ago, and part of the union negotiations, they use that term, but it's it's not even a term we know here, much less utilize. Yeah, so it's one of these things that's super tried and true. It's been around for decades, I mean, centuries, and it's not utilized here. It's not something that we think of conflict in a proactive way. We don't think about giving resources to our employees this way. So it's something that I think is actually innovative in and of itself, even though it's proven, is to apply it to these different workplace environments. Sorry. Can you walk me through that process? Like what what is the ombud service that you offer through your business and what does that look like and, and why would a company want to do that? Yeah, so it's both complicated and pretty simple. So what I do as an ombuds, if I'm contracting with an organization, then I'm accessible to their entire employee base and to their leadership. And they can come and use my services, which is a meeting with me at any point in time when they're experiencing a conflict or an issue in the workplace. So an example of a conflict might be, I didn't feel like it was fair that I didn't get that position and -and so-and-so did. So they can come and talk to me, and then I can kind of help coach them through it. It might also be like, hey, we can't get along about the stapler. You know, it can be anything. And so they come and talk to me, and then I help coach them through in that individual moment. I help review their options with them. I am an informal process, so they get to retain their agency in decision-making by talking to me. And then over time, I'm anonymously tracking the data essentially that comes in about what workplace issues there are. And then I'm reporting those while protecting the identities and the specific situations of the visitors and informing the company about where their most common, most impactful issues are coming from. And then I might suggest a a resolution, right? I might suggest a change into their processes or their training or their staff, but I don't actually do anything with the information. So I'm the one helping identify the problems. I'm not an authority in changing the policy. Very interesting. So that that sounds to me like it's very much in the same vein as human resources in a company. Why would a company, rather than do it in-house with human resources, why would they go outside for ombud services? Yeah. So another really big component of being an ombuds is that I'm neutral which means that I do not represent the best interest of the company or the individual. 
I'm there to represent fair and equal process and fair and equal administration of the process. So that is my only goal is to have people in the workplace be treated equitably. And so HR is in the best interest of the company. They have an alignment there and employees know it. Employees know if you go to HR and it's nothing against HR, but that HR is going to protect the interests of the company, both legally and fundamentally. So this gives people an option to work through the process. Now, HR is also formal and I'm informal. So if you go to HR and you say, hey, my manager is sexually harassing me, they have to do something about that. In that situation, I can help talk you through what would happen if you filed a formal complaint, if that's what you want. So I can be a step before HR to give people a little bit more confidence to engage in those formal systems and understand what the the processes are at the organization, as well as helping them with tools to self-advocate for themselves. Oh, that's so interesting. I've never had a lot of corporate work experience, but my husband's career has always been very, very corporate. And I've seen some of those dynamics play out with, with HR just in hearing his story. So I imagine that is so impactful for the companies that you serve. Absolutely. And it's it's a little, it's hard, right? Because companies don't want to admit that they have conflict. But there was a recent study that shows the average American worker spends 2.8 working hours dealing with conflict a week. And then there's residual or there's side effects of that. So if you're spending 2.8 hours talking or actively engaging in a conflict, you're telling your coworkers about those negative experiences and they're absorbing that experience as well. So then you've got this kind of snowball effect of negative energy in the workplace, of disengagement, of things like that. And oftentimes these things don't get resolved or managed. They fester, they continue until we get into these environments where, you know, we have this term now, quiet quitting, where people just disengage completely, but don't actually quit. And these are the kind of situations, if you can address the conflict proactively, if you can be there to have someone to listen and talk to you, then you can avoid these things. You can keep people engaged. You can, you know, stop turnover, which is a great investment to protect for for companies. Absolutely. And is all the work that you do with companies about managing conflict within the organization, or is some of your work based on the conflict with possibly customers or vendors or other, you know, organizations or individuals interacting with the people within the company? Yeah, that's a good question. So generally, when I do a contract, I'm focused on the employee base. My goal is to help with retention and engagement and people's ability to be happy in the workplace. Sometimes a client or, you know, something is involved in that conflict And that's something that I can address too. But in general, I'm looking for interpersonal conflicts within the workplace. That's so interesting. And can you tell me more about how your work in diversity and inclusion goes hand in hand with your work with conflict in the workplace? Yeah, thanks for that question. So, so much of the conflict that I see in the workplace is directly related to anywhere from microaggressions to to discrimination. And it's hard to have a constant pulse on your organization and understand what the experiences of people who aren't like you are. 
So when we do this thing where we want diversity in our workplace, but we don't understand how to support them, and as individuals, we can't properly include them in the workplace, and that will create conflict. So I know this is not a popular opinion, but diversity creates conflict. We have people of different backgrounds clashing on how to solve problems, which is great. That's where you're going to get your innovation. So you're going to have more options to solve the same problems, which is a nice way to look at conflict, right? It's just multiple solutions, same problem. So when we can really improve the inclusion in the environment, that's when you get all the benefits of a diverse team. That's when you get the camaraderie of a diverse team. That's when we start to open people's minds up to people who don't look or think or have a background like us. Well, that's very, very interesting. So can you tell me about what gave you the confidence and the drive to go out and just start working for yourself versus trying to go find a company to do this within? So I did look for a company to do this within. I was really hoping to find a job as an ombuds. I do not have a degree, like a college degree which is not necessarily a requirement of being an ombuds, but it has affected me in my career and the advancement of my career. And so when I went out to look for jobs in the field of an ombuds, they didn't exist. And they didn't exist in the corporate world, especially, which is where my experience and background lies. So I was kind of like, well, I can't be employed in this industry. What do I do? How do I shed light on this industry because I think it's so interesting and I think the work is so compelling. So after trying to get a job for maybe six months in this field, I decided that if I couldn't get employed in it, I would start it. And I'm really happy with that. I had a lot of support from my last employer when I told them I was doing this. They were excited for me. They were proud of me. They like let me work part-time for five months while I got things up and running So I had a long transition out of my previous position. And yeah, I'm a full year into full time. But depending on when you consider starting the company, it's been a couple years of work for sure to get it off the ground. So one year into it working full time, what have you learned? What have been the unexpected joys and maybe less than joys about owning your own business? Yeah. So when I went into this, I was an executive assistant before this, and I worked with marketing and legal and communications and everybody, right? Um, So I thought I was good at everything. Turns out I knew what I needed. I didn't know how to actually pull the levers behind the scenes. So I think my biggest learning in being an entrepreneur is that I am really bad at a lot of things. And it takes a lot of support from other people to operate a business. So the the actual business execution is a daily challenge for me. And things that like marketing, for instance, I thought I was a great marketer. And I think I'm okay. But I couldn't come up with a tagline for like six months. I couldn't figure out what my tagline was. I worked with an amazing marketing person. And we came up together with the tagline helping companies grow through conflict. And I love it. It's so impactful, but I wouldn't have come up with it on my own. So I think having a really strong community is super important. And having people you trust as vendors is great. Absolutely. I'm 
almost four years into business ownership. And I feel like I, I went into this business because I knew I was really good at my job as an insurance agent. But the job of a business owner is a whole new thing. And I'm learning every single day still at this point. Yes, absolutely. And like, I love that learning, right? Like I love learning something new and having to figure out new things, you know, like, I don't love learning about finance that I'm really excited to outsource next year, but I do enjoy learning about all these different dynamics of the business and understanding things and, you know, getting better at sales, getting better at talking to my clients before their clients and help building those relationships ahead of time so that there's trust when I start working with their employee base has been super, super interesting to me. Yeah. So what have you done to grow your business? I know we haven't really met before this, but I've been aware of who you are for many years because you, you have been on the networking scene in Madison, Wisconsin. But what are you doing right now to grow your business? Yeah. So right now I'm I'm working to get a kind of a larger client on board, which will start next year. So that's exciting. But I, I do do a lot of networking. But the primary thing I do to get my name out there is public speaking. Public speaking is not necessarily my goal for the organization, right? Like I really like to be in the weeds with people and working on actual problems, you know, specific problems, I should say. But public speaking is something I really enjoy. And I know that I'm very unique in that compared to many people. Most people would hate to get on a stage in front of 200 or more people. And that is like my happy place. So I love doing public speaking, whether it's internally for an organization that needs a training or needs a workshop or whether it's for like a conference style or, you know, a networking group. So as an example, I'm giving a talk for the women in biohealth group in a couple weeks called the unwritten rules of being a woman in the workplace. Um, and there should be pretty good attendance for a talk like that. And that's something that I'm really excited to go out and do. But it'll help me with my reputation. It'll bring people awareness to what I'm doing. I absolutely love that. What, Since you are an expert in conflict in the workplace, what are the most common sources of conflict in a workplace? And like, what can we do to mitigate those or lessen them or, or work to learn through them? Yeah, miscommunication. Like, I know that's super broad. But almost all conflict comes down to how people are perceiving our words, the words we're not saying. I talk a lot to my clients about unspoken expectations, where I have an expectation of you, but I never tell you that I have this expectation. And then I get mad at you when you don't meet it, you know, or there's conflict or there's a missed assignment or something like that. So Communication is huge and it's it's a beast, right? We have entire departments and organizations to work through internal and external communication. And I think the big thing as far as advice on how to tackle it is having someone, it does not have to be me, but be there to listen. You know, we do employee engagement surveys to try to understand where our faults are, but that's a moment in time. You know, that is one moment and people maybe do them once or twice a year, but you're not getting the day to day input from your employees. So really listening to your employee base and when they tell you they have an issue, that's great. That is a gift. I oftentimes advise clients that 
say, oh, my employees are complaining all the time. It's like, great. That means they still believe that you can listen and change something. That's a gift. When they get quiet, that is not good. When they stop complaining, they've completely disengaged. So really listening to those, that feedback that you are getting, whether it's direct feedback or indirect feedback, it might be that you host employee happy hours, but they're having lower and lower attendance. That's feedback. That's people choosing with their actions not to engage in the social aspects of work. Understanding why that is, is important. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to hear a little bit more about your your career path to get to this point. So where did you start like after high school, after college, and how did all of that experience feed off of each other to to bring you to owning owning this business that you seem so passionate about? I am very passionate. That's true. Yeah. So I I did like a year in college for graphic design and decided I did not want to design websites. So you know, I wanted to design snowboards, but there's just not many jobs out there. So I, I dropped out. I was dealing with some mental health stuff at the time. And I started, I started working, I was waitressing, I was in food service industry, hosting, things like that. Um, and then I had my first child and I decided to get into real estate. I love houses. I love interior design and I love our community. And it was like such a great fit. So fast forward, had another kid, ended up moving to Milwaukee for a short stint due to a separation with my husband at the time. And didn't want to rebuild a real estate career. So I went into administrative work for a tech company and then went to, I don't even know. I had so many little jobs. I went kind of back into real estate and new home sales for a while and then went into corporate interior design and office furniture for a stint. Turns out I'm not a great like salesperson. Like I'm really good at building relationships, but I have such a hard time selling a product that I'm not passionate about. So ran through some of those jobs. And then I ended up, a friend of mine reached out to me when I had been on a job search for about five or six months. And all she said to me was, send me your resume. So I send her my resume. And she says, I have someone you need to meet. This man's amazing. He's looking for an executive assistant. And I told her, I will never be an executive assistant again. Like, more power to him. It's not for me. And she said, just meet him. So I did meet him. And he was as amazing as she said. And he was a wonderful boss to me for three and a half years and really empowered me to learn and grow on the job, to work with the culture of the company. And so, you know, I had this whole wayward path and I finally found someone who was really great at managing me. It was the best job of my career. I was making the best money of my career. I was getting promoted. Things were going really, really well for me. And I just thought, why not throw all of this away and start my own company? <laughs> and that's what I did. So so I think, you know, people oftentimes say that people leave bad bosses or people leave bad managers. But I think that's not always true. I think sometimes you feel so supported and so empowered to go after your goals that that becomes an option for you, right? Like you don't have to leave out of distress. You can leave out of positive things too. So I'm just so grateful for those, you know, I think it was about three and a half years I worked for this biotech company because it really did solidify a lot of my skill set and helped me understand company culture better. 
That's incredible. And I try so hard to be that leader. I actually had a conversation with one of my employees this morning who she's just so talented in what she does. And I said, if you ever are are ready to like make a go of this on your own, like I'm going to be your biggest fan and help you in any way I can. I want her to work for me forever. But like I've had so many bosses who have held me back from the next step in my career that I don't ever want to be that person. It's terrible. Who would do that? Yeah, absolutely. And like, I'm at the point in this business that I'm starting to think about what I would look like as an employer and as a boss. So that's really exciting, but it's also scary. I, when I left my last company, I thought he was the best boss ever, but I never want to have a boss again. And I realized yesterday that by starting my own company, I will never have a coworker again which is sad for me. I love my coworkers. I love having a community that way. I will have, I will have employees now, right? Like I won't, I, I won't necessarily have that peer level connection with people anymore, but knowing that I want to encourage that, knowing I want to lead an organization that is psychologically safe and people are able to speak up and disagree with me And to be able to do all the things that we're trying to create in other companies and modeling that for my employees, my future employees, whenever they they get to exist, you know, so it's a really exciting kind of next chapter to think about. Absolutely. So that was actually my next question. Like, what does the future hold for for your business and and for your lifestyle? Like, what do you see in, in the next decade for yourself? Oh, in the next decade? That's a big question. You know, I love this work and I think about how can I expand this work as an industry? And that's a pretty lofty goal to be like, I want to single-handedly raise up an entire type of work. What yeah. is the industry in the US for what you're doing right now? Is it like you and one other guy or what? <laughs> Kind of, yeah. As So there are a couple independent ombuds out there in the world, but most of them are working in universities, some in government and then some in corporate, like global corporate that have locations in the United States. So, But I want to make this accessible to even 20-person teams. You know, so I price all my services based on headcount so that I scale with the company and hopefully with my involvement, the company can scale and grow and, you know, have positive culture. So I do a price per head per employee per month. And I, I value that because this has only been a service accessible to huge corporations, large, we're talking 20,000 people is the only kind of corporate entity that's ever had access to ombuds work before. So it is, that's a passion of mine for sure. And then kind of growing this and, and, and learning and, and figuring out how to create a training program so that I can bring more ombuds on. Because just like I couldn't get a job, it's hard to find people who are skilled in this, right? Because it's skills. It's not a degree. It's a certain skill set that can be taught, but there are people more apt to absorb it, right? And, and, and survive it. It's stressful, So thinking a lot about how do I structure brand new company with brand new goals in a brand new way without having to reinvent the wheel all the time. So what's your biggest advice for like, I only have six employees. We're not a big organization. 
What is your best advice for like a small business owner to to do the best to manage conflict, especially in a small team? Because, you know, we're in pretty close quarters. We got to deal with each other. My best advice to leaders is keep reading, keep thinking about your team, keep investing and trying new things and understanding what they they work. But, you know, invest in new things, but not the flavor of the week. One of the books that I really love is The Fearless Organization by Dr. Amy Edinson. She is a wonderful author, and she talks all about psychological safety in the workplace. I think it is the most crucial component to having healthy conflict. It allows people to be open, to talk freely, without fear of consequence. And that's how you're going to get the best ideas, right? That's how you're going to get these things is to say, it's okay if we disagree, if we can do it respectfully and safely and inclusively. Well, and I think that's, you know, as a business owner, I do want my team to have some conflict because like what you said at the very beginning, scientists see it as a way, you know, challenging the hypothesis to, to, you know, get a better outcome. I, I do want, I don't want bad conflict in my organization, but I do want healthy because it only makes us better. And and I'm very fortunate that I have a team that they're not never afraid to challenge me on what I'm saying or say like, that's not a great idea. And I just want to continue to foster that environment because we all do get better with, with that kind of constructive conflict. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's probably a testament to your leadership, right? Because it means that you're doing the right things to make sure when they bring you those alternate solutions, that you're not shutting it down and and creating a gap between your workforce and yourself. So I think it's super important that people continue to think about people as humans and not numbers. No. Such basic level advice, but so profound at the same (laughs) time. You know, I think we don't stop and just think of it that way. We're thinking about the goals and the objectives of the company and what has to happen next. Not that it's humans that make it happen. Yeah. Even these massive companies, like I, oh, I remember this so well. So Netflix was supposed to air a Love is Blind reunion or something live and it didn't go live. I don't remember. I think it was Love is Blind. And I was super excited, right? And so like, what do you do? You turn to Twitter or X, whatever it's called now, and you figure out what's going on. Hey, Netflix, where's my reunion? It's not loading. And Netflix's apology came out saying that they would get this done as soon as humanly possible. And I thought that was so interesting. We, even with these large organizations like Netflix, we think of them as machines, right? As consumers, we say the nastiest things on Twitter to shame Netflix for this failing. How could they? But there's people behind that wall of the machine who are having the worst day of their career, you know, who might lose their job over this because something went wrong. And so I think oftentimes about that human factor to businesses and that we are we are buildings, we are software, but we are just humans behind all of it. Humans built the buildings. Humans built the software, you know, like, and so we have to think about things from a human perspective in the workplace. And, you know, conflict is a big part of being a human. Struggle is a big part of being a human. And we can't just avoid it and hope it goes away. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, I appreciate your time so much here, Diana. How can our listeners connect with you if they're interested in learning more about your services and possibly working with you? Yeah. So my website is define.work. So www.define.work. Or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I love connecting with people on LinkedIn. I put out a lot of free resources on LinkedIn as far as talks that are coming up that are are accessible and free to, to people and also just thoughts and advice on what's going on in my world. Well, I will definitely be following along. We'll put all the links in our show notes as well. Thank you so much for your time today, Diana. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Off the Beaten Career Path podcast is a Lit Path Studios production and is produced by Jamie Gale and Katie Myers. Music is by Sasha Gray and Pond5. If you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review and share it to your social media. Remember, your career path is up to you to create. Keep exploring, keep pushing boundaries, and keep blazing your own trail.